Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Our latest guest on soundtracking could not be more suited to a podcast about film music, what with him being so knowledgeable and passionate about both artistic forms. Kevin Smith burst onto the indie scene with his 1994 lo-fi slacker classic Clerks, which he shot for around $28,000, only to see it receive widespread critical acclaim and gross $3 million. It also introduced the world to Jay and Silent Bob, who have featured in many of his subsequent movies, getting their latest outing in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Now, it's riotous good fun, whether you're familiar with their history or not. A prolific podcaster himself, Kevin is bloody cracking company with stories to tell about the music in, well, pretty much all of his work, including a corker about Fleetwood Mac. First, a word from our friends Jeff and Andy, two ordinary fellas who were thoroughly fed up with overpriced razors. So they decided to do something about it and founded Harry's. Knowing there was only one way to reduce prices and maintain quality, Jeff and Andy bought their own factory. By taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price, with their top-notch quality blades almost half the price of the leading five-blade brands. And we at Soundtracking have an offer for you from the lads, who are giving you a trial set for just £3.95, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. To take advantage to get your trial set delivered to you, go to harrys.com forward slash soundtrack right now. That's harrys.com forward slash soundtrack for your £3.95 trial set. And so to Kevin, Jay and Silent Bob, which boasts a killer soundtrack, including this little number, Smodcast Theme by MC Chris. Had to be really, didn't it? You want a podcast? I got a Smodcast. You want a podcast? Kevin Smith, what a pleasure. I feel like I'm in the kind of presence of podcast royalty, though, sir. You know what? I'll take thank that. Thank you. Thank you for, for that. Because what you've done is allows me to do this, too. You're so sweet. Number one, we should give thanks all the way down the line to the pod father, <laughs> and that's Adam Curry. <laughs> yeah. Guy who recorded the first podcast. Then my pod father, the person that inspired me, yeah. was Ricky Gervais, whose podcast I've never heard still to this day. But my friend Scott Mosier was yeah. like, have you heard the Ricky Gervais podcast? I was like, what's a podcast? Yeah. He's like, Ricky Gervais is sitting around just talking with his friends. It's a radio show in England, but yeah. like you can listen to it on the computer. I said, well, that doesn't describe it. What do they talk about? He's like, podcast? He goes, it's kind of like doing a commentary track for a movie, but there's no movie. And I was like, we do that all the time. We should do one of these podcasts. And I got into it and fell in love. So I've been doing it for 12 years at this point. And when people like uh, give me props for the movies, it's sweet and, and, and it's tough to take because I'm like, oh, those movies aren't that great. But when people give me a podcast compliment... <laughs> I absorb it like a sponge. I'm like, yes, I, I, I am a pioneer, or not? Absolutely. Uh, but not hardly that. But I, I, I love the medium. Oh so my god, much. it's such a. I mean, it's a freedom. I'm a radio broadcaster as well. But this came out of sheer frustration from a traditional broadcaster not giving me a weekly show. And That's where Hollywood Babylon came from. We're the show 170 that I episodes down the line, and it's, and you got your own thing. It's amazing. Like, never mind. You could have been doing this for somebody else and maybe pulling a paycheck or something. Yeah. But you own this. It's your brand that you get to build and do with whatever you want and your voice. That's what I love about this medium. So congratulations, man. Well, I'm glad you found your voice doing it because you had your voice for radio, but this is your real voice because you get to talk about what the fuck you want to talk which about. Which is movies and music. That's beautiful. That's the focus. That's the... And so the, all, how, how many episodes? 170. So about we, all we, movie soundtracks. Yes, yeah, so we launched August 2016. 
and we've missed two weeks out of that whole run. Amazing. And Consistency, the, you know, is everything. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, I was hearing you talk on, on, on someone else's podcast about the whole idea of, of kind of series them or not. And it's like, no, because it's, it's kind of, you know, it, like you say, it's kind of like almost having that thing. I'm going to meet up with my buddy next week and we have a chat and we do it every week. That's yes. kind of the idea. It, it's, it becomes more about like the schedule you want to keep totally. than anything else. Yeah. And tell you what, I mean, in terms of getting to talk to someone about movies and music and the relationship and how great music can be in films, you're a treat. Uh, really? Yeah. I, I, oh wondered, my God, yeah. I wondered my whole career if like I got the music part of it right because, you know, it's a visual medium and so you're, you're supposed to be thinking about the pictures first but I'm a dialogue person so I generally think about what's being said first but when I ever whenever I got cinematic in my career whenever I tried to be a, a filmmaker a director have some vision or whatever it usually had to do with um, a wordless scene where I was playing with music yeah um, like Zach and Mary make a porno there's a sequence where we're listening to the Pixies' Hey mm -hmm. in the background. And slowly it goes from source cue, like something playing on the radio yeah. while they're playing quarters and drinking, to score of the scene. And as we move to a slow-mo mode, as Seth Rogen uh, winds up moving to a bedroom with uh, Katie Morgan and Elizabeth Banks' character, Miri, sees uh, Zach going away and... and she doesn't want to say that she likes him. You know, they're playing that kind of thing. And so we were able to play that song really well. Been trying to meet you. I think when you can use music really well in a movie, you're basically just doing music videos. Like the, all the directors of music videos that we all watched growing up in the 80s, the original pioneers, put these notions in our head of how you can take music and throw a visual under it and have them complement one another. That music wouldn't be an afterthought yeah. as it generally was with filmmakers. It was something that came later on. In the world of the music video, the music is the first thought and then the image comes later on. So I learned to do it because I, again, I, I'm not even saying this facetiously, I have no vision whatsoever. I honestly have no business being a director. You ask any critic, they'll tell you. But I, I'm a fan who aggregated to filmmaking and so I'm not going to leave until they kick me out of the room because I got <laughs> in. You know what I'm saying? Like I shouldn't be here but I'm still going to stay in the room. I'm glad you stayed. Me too. Heavens. Um, let me see. Well, I'm trying to think of the moments. Like there's nothing. Well, in Clerks, the soundtrack came later. So Scott Angley who does, he was in a band called Love Among Freaks yeah. and they did the opening song for the movie. Yeah. 
he scored the movie as well. Scott Angley was like the only musician in the world I knew. He uh, went to my high school with me. He was like a grade older than me and stuff. And he was known to be like an excellent guitarist. He yeah. uh, would go on the talent shows. He would practice. He was a real sweet, quiet kid. But he was like, you know, Eddie Van Halen talented and stuff. So I reached out to him. I was like, I made this movie, man. Do you want to like, can you do a score? And he was like, I mean, I guess I could try. And then him and his band put together the track. And there was another track we used in the movie as well, Berserker. They were yeah. recorded that song based on the fake song that we sing in the movie. had an old closing track by them which got replaced when Miramax bought Clerks and then Sony came in and said we're going to put a killer soundtrack on this movie so we got to keep two of the Love Among Freaks songs but then we got Corrosion of Conformity we got the uh, the Jesus Lizard yeah. we got Alice in Chains yeah, like Soul it was Asylum Soul Asylum yeah. as well I may never get what I want but I'm happy just to die incredible uh, offering and that was the first time that I'd been through that process and I always wondered like how does somebody put a soundtrack together yeah. and in the early days when I was not really in charge of of my own thinking. When I was like, I first got in the business, I was like, tell me what to do. I don't know how this <laughs> business works. So I would do as suggested. And so they were like, here's a bunch of tracks, unreleased tracks, listen to them and whatever you like, see if it fits in the movie. And so we did that for Clerks. We did it for Mallrats as well. Um, later on, I figured out, you know what? Like, I can be a lot more personal with this if I go into my own personal music collection, yeah. iPod, even prior to that, like CDs, and pull songs that mean something to me because then I'm going to be able to work them in in a much more lyrical way. Well, in you're a way writing that works. it as well. So, you know, you're kind of that emotion, you yes. know, and, and all that is there. So that's, it feeds the whole way through. Yeah. But I mean, you've worked with some amazing composers as well through oh, the film. Absolutely. Aside from the needle drop stuff and the soundtrack yeah. stuff, the scores we've had have been amazing. Uh, the score for Jane Silent Bob Reboot is done by Jim Venable, and he also did our he score did for lot, Strike Back. Yeah. He did first time we worked with him was on Strike Back because I loved his work on the cartoon The Powerpuff Girls yeah. back in the day.
So he did the strike back score with us. Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl yeah. as well. Clerks too as yeah. well. Zach and Miri as well. Yeah. Um, and now he's back for this. And I love the Jay and Silent Bob strike back score. It's one of my favorite scores of all time. And when I was cutting this movie, I used that score the to temp. temp score on this flick. So it was beautiful because Jim was like, oh, I see what you're going for. You know, he's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I can deliver that. <laughs> yeah. So he did variations on his themes. Like in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, the score cue, their main title theme is nah, 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 nah. didn't do that exact same thing again he changed it slightly for a reboot so it goes like he gives got older yes there's a bit maturity to it voices deepened slightly and there there was a real discussion at one point about like (laughs) it's great but like do we leave the old score behind because that old score is good and Jim was the guy who had the come to Jesus conversation with me where he was like look I'm so happy that you love that score <laughs> he goes but Kevin nobody remembers that score <laughs> you'll be the only one and uh, I did like we had times where I knew his score for Strike Back better than him just because I kept editing with it yeah. forever and I would use it as temp score in other movies that I was cutting as well Jim and I listen to this score every night because I watch the movie every night on tour with the audience yeah. and when we were here in England I watched it with a bunch of the audiences and stuff and I love hearing his score play. There's a cue that he has in, in uh, the Jane Silent Bob reboot score that really like gets me emotional, glassy eyed and sometimes like I roll tears um, and it's, it's a tender cue that usually kicks in every time Jay finds out about the daughter yeah. or he connects with his daughter. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a little piano cue and I remember when he sent it to me, the temp cue, he texted it to me and he was like, what do you think of this? And I'm listening to it and it's like cinematically beautiful. It sounds like a better movie. It deserves, it deserves to be in a better movie. Like sounds like a movie from my childhood. And I'm getting emotional now about it. I was crying when I listened to it. I was like, it's so beautiful. And I took a picture of myself bawling and sent it to Jim. And I was like, this is what your yeah. work did. And, and he goes, wait, is it that bad? And I was like, no, it's emotional. It's, it's killing me, man. So I would... He's the master of his own notes, but as the director of the film, I would be like, Jim, give me that cue again here. Mm -hmm. And he's like, really? Like, yeah, I said, that'll be our running theme with those guys. And then bring it in here and stuff. And so he's absolutely wonderful to work with, and I absolutely adore that score.
going back to the beginning, let's see, Scott Angley did Incidental Music and Clerks, Ira, Ira Newborn. Oh my God, I mean, if you look, I mean, coming on with him, like Ferris Bueller. That's why, that's why he got the job. Science, I, I mean, asked for him. I was like, he's the John Hughes guy. He did all those scores, man. So give me Ira Newborn. He did a wonderful job on that score. I think Weird Science is one of those films as a kid I watched so many times. And he's got that meow, meow, meow. Oh my God. Oh, meow. Like <laughs> yeah. really, like he just always did interesting music. Yeah. And like I remember from Mallrats, there were two choices. It was Ira because I was a big fan of the Hughes stuff. Yeah. Or Elmer Bernstein because I loved Animal House. What choices? Bloody hell. I know, I know. And <laughs> Animal House score was the first, like Elmer Bernstein wasn't a comedy score guy, mm-hmm. but John Landis wanted him to make a theme that sounded grand and collegiate because he was like, it will play like polar opposite of what they're seeing on the screen. It was such a good choice. It's maybe the first ironic score in the history of movie making. Yeah. It's the first time somebody's like, we're going to play it serious, even though this thing is like off the rails yeah, yeah. comedy. So let's see. The third one was Chasing Amy, and that's Dave David Perner. Perner yeah. So Dave I'd worked with on uh, Clerks, the Soul Asylum track closed out the movie. Can't even tell. And we did a music video for it as well. So I knew him. Uh, we were buddies a little bit, like wonderful dude and stuff. And all the, everybody in the band, one of them passed away, of course, like years ago. But all great kids. So when I was going into Chasing Amy, I reached out to Dave, and I was like, um, hey, man, have you ever scored a movie and he was like no man that'd be kind of interesting and so I gave him the flick and he fell in love with it and he came up with that score which we still use today when Holden shows up in Jay and Silent Bob reboot we go right back to Dave's cue which is played on like a ukulele or a very bare instrument back in the day and then comes in with a chorus of voices that are his it's so good that and if you know these movies it instantly like all good music is a time machine it instantly takes you back to chasing amy which in turn instantly takes you back to the moment in your life that you saw that movie yeah well that's what this film does visually and with the score as well you know i had such fun watching this film because it just felt and i heard you refer to it as like the first two-thirds of big fish tim burton film no the The end of big fish Fish. yeah Yeah, when we were making the movie i felt like it was the if you ever seen the tim burton movie big fish albert finney in the last 10 minutes of the movie like i remember watching that movie and being like i don't get it nothing really here for me the last 10 minutes 
not only saves that movie, that is that movie. You can chop off the first hour and a half and just do those last 10 minutes, and you'd have to be a Nazi robot not to cry at what happens. <laughs> Albert Finney gets carried through his life and meets anyone that's ever been important to him. It is so profoundly beautiful. Every day making this movie felt like that, because you'd have people come in, cameos, like, I haven't seen you in years. Like, Ben, I hadn't worked with Ben in 12 years. I hadn't spoken to him in 10 and stuff. Wow. So it was a real, like, reunion kind of thing. And but also, the fact that everyone, that they said yes. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That's that's a kind of testament to Sweet. kind of these characters that you create. That and, and it's a testimony to the, the fact that I had a heart attack right before we had the movie. And so people were like, <laughs> I better help. help him out. You know, He's he, not going to be here much longer. Yes, exactly. This <laughs> motherfucker almost died. So I'll go be in his movie and stuff. I, we should have given casting credit to the heart attack. It helped <laughs> us get a lot of people. But in terms Glad of to the, see you looking well, by the way. Thank you. Trying to stay above ground, as they say. Um, soundtracks for me and score for me. Like, I remember this, uh, I think, was it Breakfast Club? Oh, that was a great soundtrack. Is the Breakfast Club soundtrack where he wrote in the liner notes, Hughes wrote in the liner notes, and he goes, music is never an afterthought with me. I wrote these songs into the movie in the script because he was a big music file and he would make tapes for the kids and be like, this is what your kid would listen to. Same thing that Richard Linklater did on Dazed Confused. He made like mixtapes and be like, this is what you would listen to. This is what you would listen to. And I remember reading in the liner notes of, I think it was Breakfast Club or or the Weird Science soundtrack. But I remember reading him write that, that like music is never an afterthought with me. And later in my career, I started adopting that. Like in the beginning of my career, I was shocked we were making movies. So I wasn't like fully in charge of my faculties. I was still like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. The older one gets, more mature one gets about the job. Suddenly you think back and I remembered like him saying that music is not an afterthought with me. And I was like, I should start thinking about these tunes in advance and write them into the script. So sometimes I've done that where it's written into the script. The instance of uh, Hay in Zach and Mary, that was written into the script. Um, Dogma. Dogma with a score by uh, the great Howard Shaw. Yeah. who if you listen to it closely this is maybe it's telling tales out of school mm-hmm. but there's a score cue in dogma that's uh you know alan rickman's metatron talking to uh, linda fiorentino's bethany that has this kind of wonderful like ethereal cue in it um that he wrote for our movie beautiful years later Howard's working on them Lord of the Rings movies a variation of that same cue happens in the Lord of the Rings I was sitting there watching Lord of the Rings you got to remember as the director like I may not have created the score it came in later on yeah but as the director like I'm editing it in I watch this movie a zillion times I wind up learning this music not learning it enough to play I'm I'm an idiot when it comes that but I know this music so insanely well so I'm watching I forget which one it was Lord of the Rings or or the Return of the King or Two Towers and all of a sudden I heard that cue come in it's a variation of it you know it wasn't the exact same thing but it was so close.
that's certainly not me going, he plagiarized himself. Yeah. But Howard was like, look, that's a really nice piece of music. Not a lot of people saw Dogma, so <laughs> I'm going to slip this into the I hope the we rings. did it deliberately. I hope so. Well, and he I deserves to. He's a genius. You think about it. When we got to work with him, this was the guy who had done the score for Silence of the Lambs, amongst other things. This is a guy, Howard Shore, goes back to SNL. He was the, he was the guy that created the Saturday Night Live theme. No. Yeah. He's working on the show all the way back then. Isn't that nuts? Oh, my God. That's amazing. So he's amazing. got so much history. absolute pleasure man and but then watching after lord of the after dogma him go on to like lord of the rings and it was incredible it's like i got to work with the guy right before he exploded even bigger than he was and he was always like one of the greatest composers in the business and still is got to work with his was it nephew ryan sure as well in okay. a small movie we did called vulgar he did the score yeah. on that and stuff so there's talent in that family big time After Dogma, we did Jane Sombach yep, back. That was the first yep. time I worked with Venable, and then it was Venable for a long run. And then after Zach and Miri, we did Cop Out. Is that right? Yes. And that was um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did Fletch. Uh, oh. Um, nah, 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 oh, jeez. I was just thinking about him the other day. Like I'm always tempted to say Harold Faltermeyer, and it's not that at all. Because it does have a similar sensibility to his music. Um, my God, this is killing me because I absolutely adored him when I worked with uh, him. Harold Faltermeyer. It is Harold Faltermeyer. It is Harold So I was right. Do, do, do. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, Harold, the great Harold Faltermeyer did the scores for uh, some of my favorite movies in the 80s, including Fletch. Is a fantastic <laughs> score.
So um, I, when we were making this movie, Warner Brothers was like, who do you want to do the score? And I was like, well, for me, the sensibility of this movie feels like, like we were temping with Harold Faltermeyer stuff. I was like, what about Harold Faltermeyer? And they looked at me like, Harold Faltermeyer? <laughs> They're like, do you want us to get in a time machine? I was like, I'm sure he's still working. They're like, uh, we'll ask him. And he jumped on board. They was like, I'd love to. I believe he's German, if I remember correctly. lovely guy who was like I'm flattered that you want me I was like look man that Fletch score is genius I've loved that movie forever and that score makes it even better and stuff so uh, I got lucky to work with a guy I was a fan of yeah. whose work I just liked and in a world where Warner Bros. was like sky's the limit who do you want <laughs> I think I puzzled them when I was like oh if I could get anybody it'd be Harold Faltermeyer <laughs> that's the response you want though when you, people go really you go yes just because you had that response definitely yeah. fuck you now I want two Harold Faltermeyers get them both they're like there's only one um, so there was Cop Out that was great. and I think he did a fun job with that he also recorded a song um, that they used in, I think, the tail credits, um, that, uh, who was it who sang it? Um, she sang, on my own. Oh, yeah, and I know. Yeah, oh, my God, I was just going to hit that, and you hit it instead. <laughs> um, you know, grand damn singer. Um, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm God, a stoner, so it's escaping today. me. But that was kind of that, that thing where sometimes those composers, when you when they're put together, or they, or they go, I'm going to grab this singer, and just it gives it kind of something else as well, when yeah. Yes. Use voices on things as well, and um, it's, it was a real like throwback, the cop out score and the closing song because it felt like like I was trying to make the buddy cop movie that I grew up watching with my dad. Yeah, you know, my dad's been dead for a long time, but like when I was making Cop Out, I was like he would have loved this movie, man. Like he loved Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. So he absolutely would have loved that movie. And so I was kind of engineering it for an audience that didn't live anymore and stuff. Patty LaBelle. Patty LaBelle, that's it. The great Patty LaBelle. met and took a picture with and stuff like that and you know I've been listening to her music my whole life um, she sings a song that Harold composed and I think yeah. he wrote the lyrics for her. and at one point while she was singing we, I was there when they were recording she like threw my name into the song that was like a huge moment for me and you know Cop Out's not a movie that anybody talks about and stuff like that it's actually oddly enough my highest grossing movie but like you know because of the Bruce Willis thing <laughs> people are like, better left untalked about or whatever but that was like a magical moment for me where we're recording the score and recording the song, particularly Patti LaBelle belting out the lyrics, sounding amazing. And at one point she just throws my name. He's like, come on, Kevin. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm in the soundtrack? That's amazing. Um, so let she me see. She did Lady Marmalade as well. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. The movie after Cop Out was Red State. 
because then I stopped after Red State for like three years. And Red State is really interesting, mm -hmm. particularly for this conversation, because there is no score. The movie has no composer. What's the choice in that? Why is, what's the decision in that? There's two parts. One was I thought it would be fun to leave the movie scoreless for anybody who is like, I want to be a composer. You could literally compose your own score. You could take Red State and create a score for it because there's nothing there. There is rhythmic sound effects yeah. that we use. So like there was a boiler here that was like da 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 So we use that for intensity. Yeah. But there is no composer, hence no score. So I always thought it'd be cool, man, because it's like... Your fans would jump on that to kind of go, right, we're going to run a competition, get your submit your score, and we'll... Oh, my God. So I'm saying it's like Red State is a movie that exists. They can find it on video and stuff. Burn it. And if you're a would-be composer, you burn it, and you start composing to it. Give us a score, and then throw it up on YouTube, man. And that's your... That's your real, because that movie's got, you don't, it, for those who are like, I don't get the big deal. In order to separate a soundtrack from a movie, you would need multiple tracks and high-tech equipment that you're not going to get burning a Blu-ray or something yeah. like that. But since this movie has no score whatsoever, it's got sound effects and stuff, you could build a score right on top of it, dialogue and all. So I always hoped that somebody would do that. Yeah. And so far, no burgeoning composers have picked it up and yeah. said, oh, I'm going to write a score for this. Do you write with me? Do you have music on when you're writing? Do you, no, do you... I'm generally a quiet writer. Uh, I, I use music specifically to time travel. <laughs> music I put on when I want to feel good or less close to the end than I probably am. I'm 49, I'll be 50 next year. Music is a time tunnel, right? So you pop on like uh, everybody wants to rule the world and suddenly I'm watching the end of Real Genius at the Atlantic Highlands Twin Cinema when I was a kid. I use music very specifically that way. I don't like just put it on in the background and stuff like that. It's generally always meant to evoke a good feeling. And that's what music does in general for most people. Like, I like this. Nobody puts on music and be like, I hate this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So for me, I, I kind of respect it and use it that way. I don't know if I could write with like someone singing in my ear. I probably could and stuff. But generally speaking, I write in a pretty quiet room. Yeah. But I think about uh, the music now all the time when I'm writing going like, well, I can use this. The, the next movie I made after Red State was Tusk. Mm -hmm. And the score of Tusk was composed by, oh. Don't write that one. Chris down. Drake. Okay, yeah, yeah. Chris Drake also came from animation like... Uh, Jim Venable did. Jim Venable came from like the Powerpuff Girls. Uh, Chris Drake had scored a couple DC movies that I absolutely loved, including uh, The Dark Knight Returns, cartoon versions of them. So he's an animated composer.
so I loved his Dark Knight score. I said, hey, man, you want to do the score for my monster movie? And he fell in love with Tusk, and so he came up with that fantastic score. But at the heart of Tusk yeah. is the Fleetwood Mac song, yeah, the, Tusk, the, the, yeah. which I had written into the script and I wanted to use, but the whole time we were making the movie and I was cutting the movie together, there people financing the movie was like, don't get too attached to Tusk, yeah. you know, because we'll probably have to go a different way. And I was like, yeah, Chris will come up with a, like a, a compose a piece of music for that section, the section I wanted to use Tusk in. But I cut, a temp cut with Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. And the problem, the danger in that mm. is that you fall in love with yeah. your stuff and everyone else falls in love with the stuff. And then soon they're like, you can't not have that song. He's got to be in there and stuff. So we stuck with it and I was like, let's go for it. Like, no matter what it costs, let's go for it. How much can it cost? 70 grand, 100 grand? Like, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. It's the most expensive piece of music I've ever used in a movie. Huh. It cost us $250,000 to put Tusk. Because, you know, they didn't care. It's not like Fleetwood Mac was like, yeah, we want this, man. Like, like Lindsey Buckingham, it's yeah. mostly his tune, I guess. Um, was what just I, like I don't, I don't have to. So they put it at a number that was like they'll go away. But we were like, we, we need it, and they got it. They got 250, 125 on one side, 125 on the other, and that was the most expensive element in the entire movie of Clerks. Justin Long didn't get paid that much. I didn't get paid that much to write and direct the movie. The walrus costumes that Bob Kurtzman made, and there were a few of them, didn't cost as much to make. The single most expensive element was. Tusk. However, I can stand by that still today because you watch it in the movie and it is magic. And in a movie called Tusk, if that song didn't turn up, yeah. then I fucked up. Like, some people were like, I'm shocked you didn't use I Am the Walrus, but that would have been more expensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe 500K. But Go Your Own Way is covered in Clark's. That's right.
So how did did that? That, that came, came from the uh, seaweed, wasn't it? Yeah, seaweed yeah. did it. Um, Sony did that soundtrack. Okay, so that and came, so, so Benji Gordon was the kid's name. He was our exec, and Benji was like, "Here, man, this is another track you might like." And I was like, "Go your own way, man. That's Fleetwood Mac." And he goes, "Yeah, but seaweed. This new band Seaweed's covering it's funner. It's more fun. It's hip and stuff." And we listened to it, and I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of fun." And it fit the scene very yeah. well because it's talking about um, the Star Wars contractors of my memory. No, or no, I think that scene was them in the car where Randall Dante's talking about Randall's talking about his cousin that broke his neck trying to suck his own dick because that's why I was like it's yeah. funny because underneath yeah. they're going you can go your own way <laughs> you know it's cute Genius. to do that sometimes yeah, and it's a joke that not everyone gets but periodically like let's say you watch Clerks enough sooner or later yeah. like on your 20th viewing you're like oh I get it it's like a kind of little character having a little you know a, a conversation through the music almost in a way Absolutely. it's so clever and if you can if, you, if you're lucky you find a piece of music that lines up incredibly well yeah. you don't have to tailor it you just like there's no better feeling when you're temp scoring a movie or temp soundtracking a movie than when you take a piece of music that you think will work and you drop it in and you don't have to do anything you don't have to shift it left right you don't have to cut the piece of music at all it just somehow fits the scene. Yeah. Then, if the music's good enough, you start cutting the scene to the song. Because if it's like, this is 75% of the way there. It's just that one 25% where we're kind of out of sync. So I'll change the picture to match the song or the piece of music or something like that. So it, sometimes, you you know, the music is supposed to serve the story. Yeah. But sometimes, if the music's great, yeah. the story will serve the song. Like, yeah. you'll step aside and be like, no, this is the most important. <laughs> element right now or the soundtrack or the song is as important in this moment in the movie as the visual is so yeah. I'm going to change the visual accordingly so after let me see Tusk we did yoga hosers you're, you're like the dream like person this you no one ever does this where you kind of in their the head entire track well, I, I love it because it's also like I'm such a stoner it's like forcing me to go through the names I'm like oh yeah I can remember stuff Chris Drake also did our yoga hoser soundtrack yeah which means that when we eventually do the third movie in the True North trilogy, which is called Moose Jaws, which is Jaws but with a moose instead of a shark, yeah. um, he'll do that score as well. What about Clerks Three then? Clerks Three, um, I had a conversation recently with Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance because the opening of Clerks Three uh, is a montage set to Welcome to the Black Parade. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city. To see a marching band He said, son, when you grow up Would you be the savior of the broken The beaten and the damned He said, will you defeat them Your demons and all the non-believers The plans that they have made kind of sets us back into the world and shows you where all the characters are. It's beautiful. It's wordless. I've written it already. Um, it's an example of me awesome. writing the song into the script. And the whole, well, you know, the song's like five minutes and change. Whole opening five minutes of Clerks 3 is dialogueless and wordless, and that's the score. And it's just a series of image, images and visuals to set the world back in motion. Like, this is where we are. It, it, to when be honest with you, the opening scene... That, yes, yeah. yes. And the opening scene is them all gathering to play hockey on the roof and so that piece of music that begins like you know very simply with the piano yeah. um, is opens on the front of the store like kind of like in this movie where we open on the front of quick stop and then Dante will pull in and stuff on um, when I was a young boy because that story is about like the song and the story is about be something more mm -hmm. you are more important yeah. and stuff like that and so Dante is Charlie Brown in these movies and the least important person in the world so juxtaposing him with this grand piece of music Music that's ambitious, that's like a chorus, that's like an elegy of sorts, is not only funny, but it gives you hope for the underdog. It's what you think he's thinking, like how a person perceives themselves and yeah. stuff like that. So I talked to Gerard, I saw him at the LA Comic Con, and I was like, 
I know for a fact that I'm using uh, my I'm using uh, Welcome to the Black Parade right at the top of Clerks Three. And Gerard is a Jersey boy as well. Yeah. And Clerks happened before MCR, so like he was like, "Hey man, I saw you do your thing," and like that was everything and blah blah blah. So he's a wonderful kid and stuff. So I said, "I'm gonna definitely use that soon," and he was excited by that. Oh, he's like, "I'm gonna great. tell my people to make that happen and let it go through and stuff like that," because they could easily be like, "No, you're not." And not charge you two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, I was like, "Please don't hit me with the Fleetwood Mac prices, Jesus." <laughs> So um, while I had him there and I was talking about it, I was like, and maybe, bro, if you've got the time, why not score the whole movie? You ever done that before? And he's like, I've never done it. I've always kind of wanted to. He's like, you know, if I have the time, I might be really into it. I was like, I'm not going to hold you to it, man, because I know you got a life as well. You got a kid. And what I didn't know, he told me two weeks later, was that MCR was reforming. So I was like, holy crap, man, the timing couldn't be better. So uh, hopefully it's, it's since we're opening with that music and we're also there's other MCR music in the movie. Yeah. Hopefully, Gerard will have enough time and be like, all right, like, let me yeah. try this thing because he's a brilliant musician. Yeah, yeah. Aside from brilliant lyricist and, and, and singer as well. Well, his music's so cinematic. You know, yes. when you, if you take the lyrics away from it, it just has this real, I think, cinematic quality. Absolutely to agree. Right. Far, far grander than anything that I've actually put on film. And that'll be that Elmer Bernsteinian juxtaposition of yeah. here's this music that's very cinematic on top of this movie that's one of the least cinematic movies ever made. And <laughs> um, before we finish, because we're about to run out of time, um, with I love there's so many elements but I'm looking at the poster if it, people are wondering why is she reboot. talking about yeah reboot we um, are, are, such a great trip in this film and it's just I was like whooping and cheering on my own watching it and Thank stuff you. so many brilliant memory moments that kind of just come up and slap you in the face as well but I wanted just to ask and the Comic Con stuff is genius it's, it's just so funny what made you want to write it and, and do the film was there a thing was there a conversation a moment what was it it was uh, it started life as me wanting to do Clerks 3 and we got close we were a month out from shooting and then Jeff Anderson who plays Randall pulled out and suddenly we had no movie and stuff because he was the main character of that one and so uh, some of it was set at a mall so I pivoted in that moment I was like well if we can't do Clerks 3 let's do Mall Rats 2 and I rounded up the cast and they're like let's do it and I wrote a script and stuff because my agent was like um, he said uh, either Universal will want to make it Universal will want to co-finance it or Universal will let it go and we can go make it on our own I was like so there's no way I don't get to make this movie he's like you're right and I was like done so I wrote the script and shit then we handed it into Universal and Universal's like we don't want to do this and we've never given up a script or a movie in our entire lives they've never given a title back so somebody can go make a sequel someplace else they're like we're a studio but we're also a catalog house and that's part of our catalog and we've never released any movie from our catalog and stuff so at that point Mallrats 2 couldn't happen they'd much rather make Fast and Furious movies at Universal than make Mallrats and stuff those movies make money so I was frustrated and I was like, man, I want to play with my old toys. And like, hmm. I'm getting kind of a cock blocked at every turn, so to speak. And then I remembered like we own Jay and Silent Bob and Jay and Silent Bob were in Clerks 3 and they were in Mallrats 2. But I was like, why? Let's work smarter, not harder. Like at the end of the day, I know Jason Mewes wants to be in it. He's always going like, why don't we make another Jay and Silent Bob movie? And I'm like, I'm shocked we made one and got away with it. Like count your <laughs> blessings. So I knew he wanted to do it. And then I was like, I mean, if I want to play with my old toys, Jay and Silent Bob give me me access to the entire Viewersk universe. You know what I'm saying? Like Clerks only gives me access to the kids yeah. and Clerks. But with Strike Back having touched on everybody, including characters from movies at Universal, like Brody was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, that allowed me to kind of put him into this. So suddenly I was like, oh, well, I, maybe this is what I'm meant to do. And this is a better story. And Jason had been a dad for about three and a half years at that point. Yeah. And Jason's like Captain Irresponsibility, the guy least likely. Like you wouldn't trust him with a carton of eggs, let alone a fucking human being and stuff. <laughs> And there he has his own baby, and he turns out to be like, no bullshit, the greatest dad in the world. The best dad I've ever seen. I include myself in that equation, my dad in that equation. Like, he relates to the kid. Like, me... When I had my kid, I saw my job when she was a baby is just like, I just got to keep this fucker alive. They're so fragile and shit like that. Jason relates to his kid. It's like he gave Bert, well, he didn't, his wife did, to his best friend. Him and the kid oh, are so tight. Man. She's four and a half, he's 45. And it's funny because they meet at the exact same maturity level somehow, but like <laughs> they've got this tight <laughs> relationship where she feels like he hung the moon and vice versa. So I watched that for years. And, I, and there were many times I was like, I wish he had been a dad before me because I would have learned a thing or two. I would have been like, that's the way you do it and stuff. So 
seeing that, I was like, man, go figure him, the guy least like it. And then I was like, wait a second. Like, if he's super dad, like, what wouldn't it be funny to see what Jay would be like as a dad? And then it was also coupled with whenever I put up a picture on Instagram of me and Harley, <laughs> uh, there's always a cross section of the audience that goes, I don't know, bro. She looks more like Jay than Silent Bob. You should talk to your wife. So I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm stealing that for the whole movie. And that kind of made Harley his kid. Oh, she was baby Silent Bob, wasn't that's she? That's right. Yeah. That's and right. I always forget, like, because I talk about, like, we got all these people returning from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and we got all the kids in the new cast. And Harley's like, I was in the old cast, Dad. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You were there as well. I forgot. Um, thank you for, for doing this, though, because it, it really is a real trip watching Reboot. Oh, it was, I, 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 love, I really enjoyed it's it. It's an incredibly self-serving movie. Like, it's the world's biggest Kevin Smith uh, fan film made by the world's biggest Kevin Smith fan. Well, so, we're fans, so thank you. I appreciate that, pa passing it down to you guys. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I do, but I don't think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute treat to chat to you, Kevin. Pleasure thank talking you so to you. Much. Thanks, thank you. this is fun, man. Thank you. soundtrack from Jane Silent Bob Reboot that's Movie Song by Kevin Smith and James L. Venable rounding off this latest episode of soundtracking with the writer, director podcaster, all round top guy my huge thanks to Kevin for taking us on a magical tour through the music in his films Jane Silent Bob Reboot is available on home entertainment formats now and I highly recommend you check it out it also provides the perfect excuse to revisit his previous work Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, I'm joined by the fantastic Marielle Heller, who directed last year's Can You Ever Forgive Me, which starred Richard E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy. This year, she has the fantastic A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, which stars Mr. Tom Hanks and Matthew Rhys. Marielle Heller, next week's guest. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.